Welcome to episode three of the Asset Protection Podcast. My name is Wayne Patton. I'm an asset protection attorney, and I'm really excited to be hosting this series because asset protection is critically important, and I'm very excited to help you get educated on the subject and to make sure that, that you feel very comfortable with this topic. Quick recap of the first two podcast episodes. In podcast number one, we learned that asset protection is legal planning designed to place your assets beyond the reach of future creditors. And we also learned that we draw from the areas of property law, estate planning, and business law to accomplish these purposes. Uh, in episode two, we learned that one of the critical components of asset protection planning is the separation of legal ownership from control and beneficial use. So we want legal title to your assets to be owned by an asset protected entity. And that can be a business entity, it can be a trust, and we want you personally to have control of those assets, and we also want you to have the beneficial use and enjoyment of those assets. But the idea is to separate the potential for liability, and that is you, you, you are the potential for liability from the assets themselves. And that's just a simple form of diversification. The second thing that we learned in episode number two was that some assets have built-in asset protection features, and these are called exempt assets. They include things like 401k plans and other retirement plans qualified under the federal law known as ERISA, and they also include state exemptions. In Florida and Texas, for example, that includes an unlimited homestead exemption. In other states, it includes exemptions for IRAs. It includes exemptions for life insurance contracts, and it includes exemptions for annuities in some cases. The best way to find the exemptions available in your state is simply to Google the name of your state followed by bankruptcy exemptions because if an asset is exempt from a bankruptcy estate, it's also more likely than not exempt from uh, regular creditor claims. So if you live in New York, Google New York bankruptcy exemptions. If you live in California, the same thing, California bankruptcy exemptions. And that's the best way to find out what assets have those built-in asset protection features. We also learned that tenants by the entirety is available in about 50% of the U.S. states. And this is based on uh, common law from Britain, and it provides asset protection for assets that are titled to a married couple as tenants by the entirety. Uh, this is pretty good asset protection, but it's not ironclad because if your spouse dies or if you get a divorce, then the protection goes away. So it, it's decent protection, but it's not ironclad. Today, I want to give you a broad introduction to offshore asset protection planning. There are a lot of attorneys out there who advocate only for offshore planning or they advocate only for domestic planning. And I'm, I'm not dogmatic when it comes to this. I do see a uh, time and a place for domestic planning, especially for couples that are happily married and uh, that really know that they can depend on each other. And, and that, in those circumstances, there's quite a lot we can accomplish in the, in the realm of asset protection with uh, domestic trusts and other domestic entities. But by and large, it's very difficult to argue against the proposition that offshore trusts provide the most ironclad form of asset protection. And there's a really simple reason behind that. Before I get into all of that, though, 
I want to answer the, one of the most commonly asked questions that I get, and that is, is offshore asset protection legal? Well, I'm an attorney, and I cannot advise my clients or my prospective clients to break the law or to do anything that is illegal. There is absolutely nothing wrong or illegal about using an offshore trust as a component of your planning. Uh, and I think the reason that this question comes up so often is simply that uh, we've become very accustomed to being at home, right? We're used to the U.S. We're used to, uh, we're just comfortable here. And we haven't really ever been in situations where we've had to take advantage of the laws of another country because those laws are better for us. If, uh, you know, people who live in Europe live much closer to international borders. So they're, you know, they, they more frequently cross borders and, and have their passports checked and they're more accustomed to dealing with international laws. Well, in the context of asset protection, we need to get accustomed to it because there are a lot of things that we can achieve with offshore asset protection that um, in most circumstances just aren't available to us here in the U.S. And the, so, well, let me backtrack for one second. So to answer the question and just to be very clear about it, it is absolutely legal and permissible for you to use an offshore trust as a part of your plan. Okay, I don't think that it's absolutely necessary in every case, but I do think that there are a lot of benefits to including it in, in, in your asset protection planning. In fact, there's an entire area of law called choice of law. And choice of law is, you know, there's a lot of cases and a lot of precedent out there on it. And what choice of law is, is if there's a lawsuit pending before a court, and there's more than one type of, there's more than one jurisdiction's law that can come into play, the court has to go through an entire analysis to figure out which law to apply. Because in some cases, the law of jurisdiction number one might dictate a certain outcome, whereas the law of jurisdiction number two might dictate a completely different outcome. So courts are, are used to this choice of law question, and we all have the right to dictate the law by which we want a trust to be governed. And that's a very important factor to consider when you're creating an asset protection plan. You have the right to determine the law by which your trust is governed. In the case of asset protection planning, it oftentimes makes sense to use an offshore jurisdiction to govern a trust for the simple reason that good offshore asset protection jurisdictions simply will not recognize the judgment of a U.S. court, okay? And in the U.S., there have been lots of instances of cases where a results-oriented judge or jury will go against precedent to reach a particular outcome. I'm going to give you two examples in the state of Florida, which is my home state, that have happened very recently, uh, just, to, just so you can have an idea of the types of outcomes that we're trying to avoid. In Florida, there is a statute that is in place that says a creditor cannot compel a trust or a trustee to make a discretionary distribution for the creditor's benefit. Now, I, I used a lot of big words there, and I'm, I want to bring that all home for you. So there's a particular type of trust called a discretionary trust. And in a discretionary trust... The trustee has absolute discretion 
on when and how to pay trust beneficiaries. That's why it's called a discretionary trust. It's at the trustee's discretion. And there's a, a statute in Florida that says if a beneficiary has a creditor, that creditor cannot compel a distribution. Right? The, the discretion remains with the trustee. Well, very recently here in Florida, a court found an exception and said, yes, creditor, you can compel the trustee to make a distribution. Now, this flies in the face of all of the precedents in the state of Florida and a very specific statute that's on point. And I'll tell you right now that the estate planning attorneys and the asset protection planning attorneys in the state of Florida are up in arms about this decision. What happened? Well, we don't really know other than the fact that this court wanted the, the beneficiary to pay and they found a way to make it happen even though it flew in the face of the law and the established precedents and the statute. Okay, This is why you want to have an offshore trust because if your trust is offshore and a U.S. court reaches a decision that flies in the face of the law, the offshore trustee will ignore the order of the court, and your assets will be safely protected in that foreign jurisdiction beyond the reach of the U.S. court system. The case I just mentioned is not the only one. We actually had another case in Florida that was good for asset protection purposes, but again, it it re, it flew in the face of the established precedents. In, in the second case that I'm talking about, it's called the Sargent case, the defendant lost a huge judgment on the order of uh, tens of millions of dollars, and the court ordered the defendant to pay or to render or to tender, rather, his stock certificates in a foreign corporation that he owned to the creditor, to the person who won the lawsuit. Well, that order was appealed, and the appellate court came back and said, the court does not have jurisdiction to order the defendant, the debtor, to turn over his stock certificates. Well, that is just a very you know, clear departure from established law in just about every other state that has addressed the issue, and even from the, from the precedents that were cited in the court's decision. Because the court clearly had personal jurisdiction over the defendant, and the court can clearly order the defendant to take certain actions. So we don't really know what happened. We don't know what the court saw that maybe everybody else didn't see, or why the court wanted to err on the side of this particular defendant and not make this particular defendant turn over his stock certificates. But the point is that the court did it. And what we're seeing is we're seeing activist judges and we're seeing results-oriented juries that are bending the law to fit the outcome that they want to reach. And that is the single most important reason that you should consider an, uh, an offshore component to your asset protection plan. Uh, this is the way that it works. In the, in the vast majority of cases, when I set up an offshore trust for clients, I set up what's called a portable trust. This has also been called a springable trust or a triggerable trust. And it works like this. The trust is a U.S. trust for all purposes. Uh, that means for tax purposes, it is a disregarded entity. It hits your 1040 
and the trust itself does not file a separate tax return. It's completely disregarded. It's completely tax neutral. You are the trust settler or the trust creator, and you can also be the trustee and the beneficiary of this trust. But the trust is designed so that it can be moved offshore in the event that you face a potentially catastrophic lawsuit. And the way that would work is you would call me, for example, and say, hey, Wayne, I'm being sued, and this could be a really bad lawsuit. So my response would be, okay, we need to trigger your trust. We need to move it from the U.S. to a foreign jurisdiction. Now, this is where people get really uncomfortable, and this is where I often get the question, are you sure that's legal? And the answer is yes, that is absolutely legal to do. The trick is it has to be done properly, and the trust has to be created before the lawsuit or before the claim ever existed. And what's happening is we are simply moving the entity. Think of the trust as an entity. We're simply moving the trust from the U.S. to a foreign jurisdiction. We're not creating a new trust. We're not putting new assets into an existing trust. No, we're taking an existing trust that has assets in it already, and we're simply moving the entire structure. We're porting it to a foreign jurisdiction that will not recognize the judgment of a U.S. court. That is completely legal, and that is the, the most ironclad form of protection that you can have in place, other than just creating a trust offshore from day one. Um, a lot of people have an interest in doing that, and I, I typically advise against it. You can do it, but I just want to warn you that it's expensive to do that from day one, because having an offshore trust and an offshore bank account means you have to file all kinds of documents with the federal government because you have to disclose your foreign bank accounts. You have to do a full accounting of the trust every year. The trust then does have to file a tax return because it is a considered a foreign trust. Um, you have to pay the offshore trustee. Typically, maintaining an offshore trust is more expensive and more of a hassle than most people want to deal with. And that's why I typically advocate for the portable trust for people who who are absolutely you know, dedicated to the idea that they want to have this offshore asset protection component. So in a future podcast, we're going to talk in greater detail about the players in an offshore trust. This was just a very broad introduction to the concept, and I wanted to let you know that it is legal to use offshore planning as a component of your asset protection strategy. Uh, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I uh, look forward to seeing you in episode number four. Uh, please visit my website, which is www.mwpatton.com. That's M like Mike, W like Whiskey, Patton, P-A-T-T-O-N.com. And I have lots of information over there. Sign up for my newsletter and feel free to give me a call if you have questions about asset protection planning. I look forward to seeing you on episode number four.